If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, hello, lawyers. Today, I'm going to be teaching you one of my very favorite tools called the manual. And the manual is a tool you can use whenever you have to deal with a difficult interpersonal conflict. But I'm particularly going to be targeting it today at dealing with difficult supervisors or partners, right? We have all had this experience. We've all had difficult bosses. Whether it's the partner in your case, or you work at an NGO and it's a supervising attorney, or even just a colleague who's a little bit senior to you, or if you work in-house somewhere, whether it's the VP of your department or the general counsel or the CEO, doesn't matter. Wherever you are, unless you're working for yourself, you're going to have this problem, right? Even people who run organizations have their board of directors often that they have to report to. So this is something we all struggle with. And it's a really big drain on quality of life for a lot of my clients, especially in situations where you're often working really closely with a partner or supervising attorney on a case that can take months or even years. If you don't have a great working relationship with that person, it can create a ton of stress and anxiety in your daily work life. I personally have definitely experienced this. When I was litigating, I had a supervising attorney who was very difficult for me to work with. It was kind of all the usual middle of the night emails, the kind of assuming of worst intentions or sloppiness or carelessness on my part or lack of investment in the work on the rare occasion that I would make an honest mistake. Totally unrealistic expectations. Somebody who devoted her whole life to the job and didn't really sleep for more than four hours a night <laughs> and wanted the same from me. And uh, I am a person who needs to sleep about nine hours a night to really be functional. So that was a problem in and of itself. In fact, some of her kind of criticisms or concerns of me, I sort of understood, although I didn't always think they were valid, but some of them made no sense to me. For instance, she once reported to a fellowship supervisor, the person who was in charge of those of us who had this litigation fellowship, that I wasn't taking equal responsibility for case development and strategy, and that was a problem. I was a fellow. <laughs> I had only been litigating for about six months, and she had been doing it for 20 years. So as far as I was concerned, we were not equals. We didn't seem to be equals in any other way, but that was her expectation. And I didn't have these tools that I now teach at the time. This was probably 10 years ago. And so it was super, super stressful. And in fact, it led to me not wanting to continue working at that organization. And in fact, was part of the reason that I transitioned into academia. 
now I know that I didn't have to do that to, <laughs> to feel better, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. But at the time, I didn't have the, any of these tools, including the one I'm going to teach you today. And so I just felt totally victimized and totally disempowered. And I couldn't think of any way to make my life better other than to just run away. But running away, first of all, it doesn't feel great, right? Second of all, you don't always really want to have to run away. Sometimes you like the work you're doing or you like the organization. Third of all, you may have other reasons for staying in your job, like it's an important part of your career plan or you're starting a family and you need the consistent income. And fourth of all, and the biggest issue, and this totally happened to me when I didn't have these coaching tools either, if you leave your job to get away from stress, it usually doesn't work because stress is actually coming from your own brain for all the reasons that I'm going to talk about today. And so you take your brain with you. So if you live in fear of the partner on your case criticizing your work, it may feel like if you leave, you would avoid that problem. And you may believe that a supervisor somewhere else would be different. But the truth is, if you're someone who's terrified of criticism for your work, you will continue to be terrified of criticism for your work wherever you go. And having your work criticized and corrected is just part of working and particularly of being a lawyer. So running away from this dysfunctional relationship or the stress that's caused by a difficult partner or director or boss doesn't really solve your problem. Because no matter where you go, you're going to take your own patterns of thinking with you. That's definitely what I discovered and is part of what led me to develop these tools. So the good news is you do not have to leave to solve the problem of a difficult partner or boss. I'm going to teach you a tool you can use to feel better no matter what the person, other people in your case are doing. First, let's talk a little bit about why this is such a common complaint for lawyers, because it's really going to help us understand what causes the behavior that's bothering you and what you can do about it. So there are a couple of reasons, and some of them are obvious, and some of them may be less so, for why so many lawyers report stress and tension coming out of their interactions with their supervisors. So one, of course, and I think the most commonly given reason is that a lot of law practice is a client services business, right? especially if you work at a large law firm. Clients are paying a lot of money and they want fast turnarounds and results. This is true to some extent, but there are a lot of client service businesses where people are not generally stressed out and miserable, and that's not just taken to be kind of what it's like to do that profession. There's a second thing that I think is really important that people don't talk about as much that leads to a lot of this stress and difficulty with supervisors. And that is, think about what gets you promoted as a lawyer, right? What helps you make partner or helps you become the director of a legal department at an NGO? It's winning cases or negotiations. And that often takes being adversarial and aggressive, right? Those traits tend to at least be correlated with successful outcomes for lawyers. And so that's the only metric that's really used, Right. In some corporate environments, people's management skills or their training and communication and facilitation and mentorship, like all of that stuff is part of the evaluation for getting a promotion. That's generally not true in the legal profession. Really, the focus is on hard skills like winning cases or a length of experience litigating or different types of litigation that you've done, much less on those quote unquote soft skills. In addition, the way the current model is set up, it does require logging a lot of hours and a real commitment to the work to make partner or to become something like the director of litigation at a big nonprofit, right? 
And so what that means is that prioritizes people whose life circumstances and whose inclinations have led them to be willing to devote all of their time and energy to those prospects. And that means that those people have certain expectations of what is sort of normal to them about how much time during the day you should spend working, how responsive you should be in the middle of the night, right? How single-mindedly you should be focused on your career. The truth is not everyone in a law firm or at a nonprofit litigation shop or in any other format has those same priorities and values, right? Some people may really enjoy being a lawyer, but they don't want to be a partner, But there's really no space for that in the sort of mindset of the people who have usually made it to be partner or director, which is natural because they're just judging from their own experience and what has enabled them to succeed. And then they have those expectations for other people. So that's two reasons. And then the third is the one I I hinted at above, which is there's really not too much management experience or training or emphasis on those quote unquote soft skills when people get promoted within legal jobs. And obviously, that's not true everywhere. And some places do care about that. But in general, it's really not as much of an emphasis. And it makes sense because especially at large law firms, where you're dealing with the billable hour, hours devoted to management, training and development are not billable hours to clients, right? So if it's a profit driven model, and billable hours are the currency, then spending hundreds of hours getting a partner trained in good management skills and the ability to help employees develop and progress is just not going to be seen as worthwhile or important. And finally, I find that in the law culture, there's a sort of weird masochism about it, that law school and law practice can be so difficult. And there's almost like a Stockholm syndrome where people begin to take pride in that and really actually resist reforms that would make it better for the people after them. I I saw this in law school. When I was in law school, I went to Harvard and I was, I think, halfway through when they switched from having the first years have grades to pass-fail. And when we had all been first years, the grades had been really stressful and we had been really jealous of places that had pass-fail. Like at that time, I think Yale may have been one of the only places. But then when they made the move to switch it, all of us who had gone through first year with the grades suddenly had this reaction like, well, I mean, how are they going to learn if it's just pass-fail and they need to suffer the way we did? Right? That's really what the thinking is like. It's like we had to suffer, and so then we sort of internalized that and come up with a story about why it was good and necessary, and then we were sort of resistant to the idea that people coming up after us wouldn't have the same level of stress and suffering. And I think that's really endemic in law culture. That's another reason that even though people who are now, let's say, partners may have been really stressed out and overwhelmed when they were associates, by the time they get to partner, they're invested in that system and they're not necessarily looking to change it and they don't necessarily see the value in that. So given all of that, right, it's really not surprising that a lot of people are stressed out about their interactions with their supervisors and their partners on their cases. The good news is there is something you can do about it. Now, I'm going to teach you this tool right now called the manual. It's an incredibly powerful tool And I personally have used it to really change how I felt about almost every supervisory relationship in my life. And actually, it applies to any relationship, but we're just going to focus on work relationships for today. I started working with this tool when I was no longer a litigator, but still working in a policy job and at a think tank where I had a faculty director. And I used this work there, and it was incredibly transformative. So listen up. So I call it the manual because I like to imagine we all have manuals for how other people should behave, right? We all assume that our manuals are sort of obvious and that everyone's manual should match ours. 
So let's say my manual says, you know, part 3D, subsection 1, paragraph 2, my boss should not email me between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. because that's when normal people are sleeping, (laughs) right? That's what my manual says. Nobody should be sending work emails between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless it's an emergency. That might be what my manual says. And because I've never thought about it as a manual, I just take for granted that that thought that I have, that no one should email between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless it's an emergency, I just assume that that's like an objective reality, right? I just assume that's normal and reasonable and everybody would agree with it because I haven't thought about the idea that really that's just part of my personal manual, which has been built up over the years totally unconsciously, just based on what my family did, what our norms were, what my friends do, what I've seen on TV, what I've seen in other jobs, where I have a totally unconsciously created manual. The truth is, though, we don't even realize we have them. And we've certainly never shared them with anybody else, right? It's not like when we take a job or get into a new relationship, we just download this 100,000-page manual about how people should behave under all circumstances and give it to the other person, right? Like, study up, make an outline, there's going to be a test on this. No, because we don't even know that we have this manual. We just think it's obvious. So I just gave you an example about 3 a.m. emails, right? In my manual, nobody should send me a work email. It's not an emergency between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. However, in the partner on my cases manual, that subsection is totally missing, right? His or her manual says, I should send emails whenever I'm awake and working, (laughs) right? People can get emails at any time. They don't have the same section of the manual that I do. Or let's take another example. One of the concerns I hear a lot from my clients is that they get plenty of quote-unquote constructive criticism or non-constructive criticism sometimes, but they don't get a lot of positive feedback. Now, my client's manual will say like part four, subsection one, paragraph C3, when giving feedback on a memo, partners should give positive affirmation and then constructive criticism. The partner's manuals don't have that section at all. If they even have a section about how they should do it, it probably just says, point out things that need to be changed. That's the purpose of feedback, (laughs) right? Their manual says something totally different. Now, here's the kicker. Here's why this matters. The reason we want someone to follow our manual is so that we can feel a certain way we want to feel. When someone doesn't follow our manual, we're upset because we make it mean something negative. So let's say that the partner doesn't follow my manual about constructive criticism and praise, right? Instead, I just get a whole bunch of criticism, some of which isn't really constructive, and there's no praise. What I am suffering over there is what I make that mean, right? I think it means the partner thinks I'm doing a bad job. Partner doesn't appreciate my work. And worse, usually what I make it mean, what I see my clients make it mean is I'm a bad lawyer, That's what it means, that I'm not doing well enough at this work, right? So when someone else doesn't follow our manual, the only problem with that is that we make it mean something about us. Because in my manual, let's say, you always would give positive feedback if there was something positive to comment on. Therefore, if somebody has only given negative feedback, it means there's nothing positive and the work was terrible. That's what my manual says. So I assume that that's what it means if I get only negative feedback. But in fact, the person giving me the feedback, their manual may say, positive feedback is a waste of time. We're all adults here. It's not my job to give somebody compliments. The whole purpose of feedback is just to tell them what needs to be changed. If that's their manual, then the feedback they're going to give me is just pointing out what needs to be changed, right? No drama about that to them. Doesn't mean anything that 
about whether other parts of the brief were good. It may even be implied to them. But because I'm reading it through my manual, I look it up and I'm like, oh, well, the manual says that if there's no positive feedback, that means my work was terrible. And then I feel bad because now I'm thinking my work was terrible. And as I've mentioned before, of course, lawyer brain loves to catastrophize. So the minute we get to my work was terrible, then we're down the slope of catastrophizing to this is going to keep happening. If the partner's never happy with me, how am I going to get promoted? Will I get a bonus? Am I going to make partner? Blah, 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 blah right? All the way down the catastrophizing rabbit hole. So that's why we're upset when people don't follow our manuals. So one of the ways we can see that we want people to follow our manuals because of how we would think and feel is to imagine why we want them to do it. If they followed our manual, we would be happy because of what we would be thinking and feeling. So let's take the positive feedback example. Let's say the partner on my case got out of bed and hit their head that morning, and all of a sudden they have a slightly different personality and manual. And so they come into work and they send me feedback on a memo. And all of a sudden, there's positive affirmation in the beginning. It says, this is a great memo. I really love your work. And I think you're doing a great job. Here are just a few things I would change. I would be so thrilled. They're following my manual, finally. And what I would feel would be confident, competent, proud, happy, relieved, right? One or more of those feelings. The whole reason that I would have those feelings, the whole reason I want that to happen is because of what I would be thinking. If I got that positive feedback, I would be thinking, this person appreciates my work. I'm doing a great job. I'm good at this. I'm a good lawyer. I'm going to do really well, right? That's the only difference. It's what I would be thinking if they followed my manual. Now, sometimes when I teach this, a client will say, oh, I should just show people my manual so they know what to do so I can feel how I want to feel. Right. And the answer to that is yes and no, but mostly no. (laughs) If you are dealing with somebody, you know, who has some incentive to do what you want and for whom that's appropriate to the relationship, sure. If it's a romantic partner and you'd really like them to not leave their socks on the floor or to tell you you look nice, by all means, like ask for it. No harm done. If you can change a circumstance easily, go for it. But in a lot of cases, and especially in a work scenario, that's really not appropriate and it's not an option, right? You really can't just write back to the partner and say, listen, my manual specifies that people should provide positive affirmation before they give me constructive criticism on my work. So I'll, I'll need you to read subsection D4 and abide by it. <laughs> that would be great if we could do that, but we really can't. And truly, it's almost better that way because the freedom of the manual really comes from realizing that you can't change another person's behavior and you really don't need to. And believe me, if I could teach someone coaching techniques that would change other people's behavior, I would be a billionaire and also a wizard. But we can't change other people's behavior. But the good news is we don't need to. We just need to change what we are thinking and feeling. The way that you are getting feedback on your work is not your problem at all. Your only problem is your thoughts and feelings about it. If you had had a conversation, for instance, with that partner four days ago where they said to you, just so you know, I never give positive affirmation because it's assumed that your work is excellent and I'm just giving you the constructive criticism. If that was what you believed was normal for this person, you'd have no negative thoughts or feelings about it, right? It all depends on what you're making it mean. In that situation, you would not make it mean anything negative, so you wouldn't have a problem. And the trick here is that all of this is available to you now without ever talking to them. 
you can become conscious of what you're making it mean when someone doesn't do what you want them to do. And you can decide whether you want to believe that that's what it means, given the negative outcome that that's producing for you, right? It is totally up to you. But believing that the lack of positive affirmation means that you're doing a terrible job just feels really terrible, right? That doesn't feel good. And you have no way of knowing if that's true. And in fact, it's likely not true, right? It likely just means that the other person has a different manual for how to engage in this very common experience at work of giving and receiving criticism on your work. You get to decide whether to make it mean something terrible about the other person and about you and about your abilities and about your future. So the truth is, if you believed that you were an excellent lawyer who was guaranteed to succeed, you wouldn't even notice when somebody didn't give you positive affirmation, right? That's the underlying fundamental truth and issue here. If you believe in yourself and in your skills and abilities, you don't even notice when other people don't praise you because you're not looking for that evidence. You're not worryingly looking for evidence that you're doing a bad job or hopefully looking for evidence that you can believe you're doing a good job. You just already believe it, right? I have done a ton of this work on myself, obviously, both about my law career, but also about my coaching. If somebody said to me, you're a bad coach, it would not impact me at all. I would just know that they don't understand what I'm doing and that we're not the right fit, right? And the reason that wouldn't make any difference to me is that I know and believe that I am. And in most of your situations, no one's even saying anything near that. The partner's rarely saying to you, you're a bad lawyer, <laughs> right? That's just what you're hearing and making it mean because you have that fear about yourself. So if you can notice how often you are having a negative reaction to someone else's behavior because it's not following your manual, you'll start to be able to ask yourself, why am I so upset about this person's behavior? What does it say in my manual that they're not following, that I want them to follow? That's the first important question. And then the second important question is, why do I want them to do that? How would I feel if they did that? And what would I be thinking that would make me feel that way? That's what it's all about. You want the other person to follow your manual so you can have a thought you want to have that will give you a feeling you want to have. You want to get the positive affirmation before the criticism because you want to be able to think, I'm a good lawyer, I'm doing really well at my job, and then you want to be able to feel confident and happy. But the magic is you can think right now, I'm a good lawyer and I'm doing great at my job. Nobody has to give you that positive affirmation before they give you edits on the brief. You only think you want that because you make the absence of it mean that you're bad at what you do. And that's entirely up to you. So this week, wherever you are, whether it's at work or at home or on the road, the next time you find yourself upset with how someone else is behaving, this is what I want you to ask yourself. What does my manual say they should be doing differently? That's number one. Number two, how would I feel if they did what I wanted? Number three, what would I be thinking that would help me feel that way? And then you get to decide whether to practice thinking those thoughts now. And that's the magic. It's so much easier than trying to change someone else, right? We all think somehow it would be harder to change how we think and feel. No, it's so much easier. Trying to change other people is exhausting and it hasn't worked so far. So let's try something new. Try changing the way you're thinking about their behavior and what it means. And you'll be amazed how much you stop caring how other people behave. So that's the manual. If you've been enjoying this podcast, 
I'd really appreciate if you take a minute and leave me an iTunes review. And since nothing good comes for free, I am giving away a half hour of free coaching every week drawn by raffle from the people who submit iTunes reviews. So if everything you've been listening to in the podcast sounds good, but you're not really sure how to apply it to yourself or you think you'd like some personalized attention, this is a very easy way to get some. Just go to www.thelawyerstresssolution.com backslash iTunes. And there's simple instructions for how to review an iTunes and how to submit your name, email, and the title of your review. And then you'll be notified by email if you won the free half hour of coaching. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to some of you in person and getting to know my listeners. And I'll be back in your podcast inbox next week. If this episode was speaking your language, sounded like it was in your brain, I want you to come check out The Clutch because it will help you unfuck any relationship in your life. If you want to learn how to show up confidently in work relationships, family relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships, or in your parenting, The Clutch will be your lifeline. It comes tailor-made with a community of badass women doing this life-changing work alongside you along with monthly coaching calls and daily expert coaching on any relationship you're working on, including your relationship with yourself. Check it out at unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch, or you can just text your email to 347-934-8861. If you text your email address to that number, we will text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know to join. I can't wait to see you there.